The stigma of mental health within our community is still a very intimidating subject. We are still led to believe that the only way to get better is to pray on it, talk to the pastor, deacon, or family. Going outside for help is still a taboo subject with detrimental consequences to your reputation. Oh, she sees a therapist. She must be crazy. Boy, you better go to church and pray on it. Or the worst, don't talk about that in here. <laughs> How do we get better if we never address the problem? What's wrong with praying and therapy? What code are we really violating by talking to a professional? The fear instilled in us as kids and young adults seems to be directly correlated with the propaganda of the adults who raised us. They aren't ready to face their fear. So you talking about things that will affect them is unfortunately a red zone. Welcome to All Up In Your Business podcast, a place where two opinionated siblings come together to discuss black mental health issues in a raw, honest, and in-your-face manner. I'm Lovely. And I'm Light. Come with us as we explore black mental health highs, lows, and what the who through the eyes, ears, and mind of two siblings who are recovering every day, or at least trying to. Sit back and be prepared to shake your head, laugh, cry, and scream. Right. Let's begin the journey. Hi, this is Lovely. And this is your boy, Light. And welcome to All Up In Your Business podcast. What I did, I didn't do it right there. I said, this is your boy, Light. Oh, you pronounced it like a... I enunciated properly. Yes, I liked it. This is your boy, Light. <laughs> Trouble all day, <laughs> every day. What's going on, good people? Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. On today's podcast, we will be discussing, we will have the opportunity to sit down with Tracy... Panak. I like how you said it. Yeah. She's a she's a therapist located in Connecticut, and we had just a beautiful conversation. And you know what? You you, you left off one part. What? She's a black therapist. Yes. There we go. Yeah, she's a fly sister <laughs> out here helping the community. And one of the things we wanted to do was we're, we're in doing this podcast, we want to address, we're going to be discussing the stigma of mental health within our community and how it is still very an intimidating subject. <laughs> She's too funny. <laughs> when we talk about no, because when we talk about therapy in the church, and it's funny because like you say, there is a stigma. But even though there's a stigma, my church experience when I was in the different roles that I was in while at church, I actually did spend quite a bit of time doing pseudo counseling sessions. And the only reason I call them pseudo is because I'm not licensed. I wasn't yeah. licensed. But you were doing and peer the, counseling services. But, but yeah, but yeah. it was people who were sitting down with me and I remember it was a mother and her son and she had a very, and her, her that was crazy but this one lady her son was uh when she told me she wanted me to sit down with her and her son you know to work with them i would just either they people would hear me pray or either speak in church and so they would say i feel like i connect with you can you come over and talk to me and my family and so this one particular lady she was um i guess in her 40s and so when she said her son my typical my thought was at the time i'm a youth past something and this kid is going to be a teenager so i get to the house this kid is about two inches taller than me. And so I'm six one. So he's two inches taller than me and every bit about 50 pounds bigger than me. And he wasn't just like, he wasn't like, he wasn't like fat big. He was like big, big. Yeah. And I'm like, you eat and, a lot of meat, sir. And I walk into the groom and I'm like, what in the hell you want me to do with this? <laughs> and so, but that is my head to brain. <laughs> but, and he looked at me like, what he doing here like and mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. but you know what that that like i i tell that story or start with that because that story it, and it ended and it was it was different in this because it was they had a severed relationship but they lived together he was like i say grown son he was very educated um not a bad kid but she just wanted him to be close and um when i first went in he he was totally not like not engaged because this was not his time. And so my my oh my my approach would always be to sit, listen, and then listening 
kind of reflect back off of what they were saying. Mm -hmm. And so we met, and I would go over their house once a week for about five or six weeks. I went, and by the time we finished meeting, um, I I didn't charge anything. I didn't want anything. It was to me, it was just it was just service, and I like yeah. I said because we were members in the church, so there was a form of believing in some counseling. But they didn't, I, I think the stigma came in, they wanted to trust, they wanted to trust the person who was performing it and sitting down with them. And they wanted to know the heart was a heart that, that in their minds feared the Lord. So when we, after we sat down with this young man, one of the coolest things that happened was he, their relationship got closer. They, you could see it go from this stony heart to this like open heart to by the time we were done, their relationship was close and it was sad. But within a year after that, his mom passed away. She fell asleep in bed reading her Bible and he found her mm. or his sister found her. And, you know, uh, I remember going to, at this time I, I left the church and I had moved on. And I remember receiving the call and, and getting the information. And I remember coming back to the church and I remember the son coming up to me and he thanked me and he was like, I want to thank you. And he said, I want to thank you for, you know, the time that you spent with my mother and I, and that they were in a good place when she passed. And even though he was sad that she was gone, he was very happy that their relationship was in a good place when she left because he would have felt terrible if it was where mm -hmm. it was when we first started meeting yeah. and so, you know, where they were, you know, they, there was separation between the two. And when he said that it made me feel one, I was, I was very grateful and very thankful realizing that I played a small piece in his piece, mm. even in the grief that he had. And yeah. so I was like, it was real cool. But I, I think that people within church, there are those who do recognize, and there, there are many who do recognize the need for that counseling because that was, like I said, that was one situation. And I, I was actually fortunate enough to talk to, this was a multicultural church. I talked to blacks, whites, uh, Asians. I, I spoke to, I mean, we, I, I sat down and had very long conversations. And when you were just referencing little, <laughs> little white kids, <laughs> I actually had the opportunity to sit down with many families and their, their, their white kids, they were always referred them to me and we would have lots of sessions where I was sitting down and counseling with them and, and it, I call it counseling but it was more or less just sitting down being an ear for that child mm -hmm. being an ear to that parent and then trying to talk to them about practical ways to develop their relationship with one another and how it could foster growth and so I do believe that within the church there's plenty of people who do believe in that even if there are leaders within the church who do teach differently. I yeah. think that's where some of the separation happens is because the leadership within the church can guilt people into feeling bad about seeking help, not recognizing and not realizing that they're doing more damage to the soul when you don't allow that person to seek mental, uh, seek mental health guidance from a professional. Yeah. And see, to, like, so today I um was, today was an interesting day. Today was a fix it Lisa day, which was weird because Lisa didn't feel like fixing anything. <laughs> you didn't curse right there. You usually drop an F bomb. I know, right? Right. Like that's how much I didn't want to fix anything today. Oh wow! Because you didn't I, want to fix the language. Huh? I just, I wanted, I just wanted <laughs> to. I like literally was like, go to work, get this task done, go home. Me and bro got great things happening. That was my <laughs> thought. Like we, like it didn't matter. I'm like, oh, what's happening? Building burning down. Oh, tonight at seven thirty, we have things happening. Like I was excited, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm this evening. I was wrapping up my desk because I was trying to leave by five thirty, so I could get home and get some things done before our interview. And one of my coworkers stopped me, and she was like, "I want to um apologize. I want to thank you for earlier today because we had some turbulence at the job. That's what I want to call it. We had some turbulence <laughs> at the job." <laughs> And it was a little, it was a little intense and it made, um, it had a lot of people's nerves on end. Mm. Um, but she said, you know, I want to thank you so much for dealing with that. She said, and you know, I want to apologize to you if when I come to you with these issues, it's not something that you care to do. 
And I said, no, I said, that that part never bothers me. Trying to help people resolve problems is not my issue. I said, sometimes I don't know what's happening because I try to stay to myself and just deal with what I need to deal with. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, she said, I just, she said, you know how much I care for you. She said, but I just feel like when it comes to dealing with people, you just get it. It's just innately mm-hmm. in who mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said, thank you. And she said, she said, so I'm having a hard time right now. You know, and I was laughing because I was thinking to myself, put put your, put your bag down. Like, like God was like, this your moment. We fit to do this. Yeah. And she said, you know, I'm having a hard time right now. So background, her husband last year on November 4th, November or December 4th, November 4th. Her, she found out her husband had cancer. And the initial doctor was like, he had a year to live. Mm. By February, he was gone. Mm. Okay? And he died in a kneeling position in their home while they were asleep. So mm. the family's sleeping in their bed. They come out of their room. The father's passed away on the ground. Mm. They are... They were... the That two-month period was hard because you find out somebody has cancer and now you find out not only do they have cancer in one place, it's spread to five places. Mm-hmm. It just kept building and building. And the children were homeschooled. So the dad stayed home. The mom worked. The dad took care of everything at home. The mom took care of everything for the finances. Kind mm-hmm. of flipped life. And they were comfortable with where they were. So to have that ripped away from them so suddenly, because two months is nothing. Like, by the time you get a diagnosis and go see a doctor, that's your first month, Mm -hmm. you know? And there's an older son, a young daughter, like, and they're probably, like, about 10 years apart, something like that. Mm, Maybe, like, about six years apart, sorry. And the mom, who now has to go from being the financial caretaker to a caregiver. I mean, caregiver, the financial caregiver to a a caregiver Mm -hmm. that she hasn't had to do because she's had somebody by her side. For they've been six, 15, 16 years, mm. and now he's gone. And she has this guilt of being angry because he's gone. And she says she's having a hard time believing in God because mm. her life is so different than what she signed up for. She said, I didn't sign up for this. And I said to her, mm. I understand that you didn't sign up for this. I said, and I want you to. Take the guilt away from feeling angry because you're allowed to be angry right now. Mm. You're not even a year out. I said, this isn't a test of your faith. I said, you want to attach religion to your faith and I want you to separate those things. Mm. I said, because right now you have, you're healing. You haven't even gone to your first of the death, the first Christmas, the Mm. first Thanksgiving. You know, you just, they just, she just made it through their anniversary and she said, you know, she's trying to be strong for her children that she sent them to therapy. I said, well, what about you? Are you going to therapy? And she said, well, we're doing it right now. And I said, I know. Mm-hmm. I said, but I want you to find someone that you can mm-hmm. see as close to a week, as weekly as possible. I said, because what I will tell you is this. Nobody can tell you how you're, you should feel. You're allowed to feel the way you do. It is a very difficult road that you're traveling on right now because you are relearning how to be a parent. You're relearning how to be a in-house mom. Mm-hmm. I said, because you relinquished though. You didn't cook dinner. You did none of these things because you were blessed that you had a spouse who was able to take care of all of those things while you went out and made the money. Now you have to do all these things. And on top of doing all these things, mm. you have two family members that live in the state. One that can help you, one that can't. And everybody else is like in Colorado, like they're up or New York, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're calling her and telling her how to run her household without having to live her life and walk in her shoes. Yeah. And she feels very bitter and angry and she feels disgruntled and she feels like she's losing the battle. And I said to her, I'm like, you're not losing anything. I said, the fact that you are honest in how you feel, that you can say out loud 
mm. that you're hurting, that you can look me in my eyes and not be ashamed to cry. Let's me know that you're working towards healing. Mm. I said, now your life is never going to be the same. And anybody who tells you that it's going to be the same, they are lying to you and they're living in denial because nobody can relive these years. I said, but I will tell you that you have been in mm. a marriage for at least 15 years. And you think that within nine months you should be healed? Not even close. I said, you, you're you just touching the precipice. I said, these first these first holidays, these first birthdays, mm-hmm. I said, these are things that I want you to, in the midst of the sadness, I want you to celebrate the small things. If during Christmas time you sit down and you guys play cards and you drink hot cocoa together, that's your first moment together for your holiday. It's a new normal for you. Mm-hmm. And accept those things. So, you know, when you like me, lovely, when we're talking to all these people in the world that trust us with their feelings mm-hmm. and with their vulnerability. And, you know, I know sometimes we feel like it's coming at us. You know, it's like the spirit just be throwing people at you and it may not be your day. And mm-hmm. you're just like, okay, you know, I'm going to take this time to say it. it does matter, you know. And therapy matters. And being able to speak with someone through church or um, a therapist, a counselor, Mm peer-to-peer, your best friend, you know, somebody, a mentor that you trust. We say this all the time. It means something because everybody needs that, like, that valve to detox and to release some of the strain and pressure that's attached to them. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel. Yeah, (laughs) we'll be back. This week, All Up In Your Business podcast had the honor of speaking with therapist Tracy Panak. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist located in Norwalk, Connecticut. Her focus is on doing individual therapy with women and couples, navigating through various life transition. Welcome, Tracy. Dr. Panak, how are you this evening? I'm good. Just Tracy is fine. Yeah, Just Tracy? Not... Okay, I'm yes. sorry. Okay. Thank you for that, Tracy. <laughs> she said, don't, don't go out there and start with the doctor. Doctor, doctor, <laughs> I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor. My doctor just a licensed manager therapist. That's okay, it. okay. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to take this doctor. I'm going to say Dr. Tracy. Because <laughs> 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 we tried to make sure that we set it up. It's good. So so I want to thank you for joining us this evening um, or for this podcast. Uh, one, we greatly appreciate it. We know that um, uh, my sister and I, as we started this journey um, looking at looking into mental health and just talking about how we've kind of progressed uh, in our relationship with each other and our families. Um, we knew we we knew it was going to be kind of a challenge so that because people were going to get to a place where they wanted to know who we were and what we were about. And so we want to thank you for just having the courage to come on. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So um, when we spoke previously, just a brief introduction, um, our screen names and our real names. I'm Lisa and this is William, but um, we're light and lovely. Yeah, I'll just say I'm lovely now. Okay. I said light <laughs> and lovely. Um, but no, like um, when I was explaining to you, we met when we were 18 and 15. Um, we are connected through our father and we just, <laughs> over time, we've tried to stay connected. And th- as we've gotten older and our kids are older um, we were able to meet more. And the, every time we hook up and we talk to each other, mm-hmm. it's like another thing that's just so similar that it's creepy. Like <laughs> some days, I mean, we're like, what, f- four days apart. It's just, wow. you know, I mean, three years, four days. Right. Three right. years, four days. Yeah. But, we, you know, so in our quest to kind of find closure on some things and understand ourselves better, we um, decided we were going to start the podcast because we wanted to connect and with each other, but we wanted to journal what we were doing. And also we knew that there were people out there just like us who 
had the same, had similar events happen in their lives and we wanted to get feedback and we just felt we're really service people. Yeah, I think that one of the things that drew me to this this process of, uh, of mental health over the years, and I, I like to write poetry, so I would journal my emotions through poetry and in the process of doing so and, and, and reading a lot of books and studying, when I would, when Lisa and I would, or when Lovely and I would talk, my friend. <laughs> no, you can call when, me whatever you want. When Lovely and I would talk, when we would sit down to kind of have conversations, what, what I, there are certain people you meet where you have uh, that, that imaginary light go off, go on in your head. And it's like, man, that's, it's, it's just, it's true. Not because she's saying it, it's true because I consider true something, a principle that is applicable to all people at all times. And it kind of uplifts Everyone, no one feels neglected. No one feels like they're being left behind. If the principle is applied, it elevates you and it elevates the people around you. So when we would talk, she would say things that I believe that would be like, that's like very enlightening and something that I could apply or something that I could buy into. And so for me, this journey into mental health and wanting to speak to different individuals was because when I, and I wanted to start the podcast because in talking to different individuals, one of the things that I would notice is we have a lot of programs in, you know, in Baltimore City. We have a lot of programs in a lot of urban places. And we would still wonder why we still see some of the residual problems happening in children and, and the people who these programs are servicing. And one of the things that I would tell people, I said, we all too often leave off the mental health perspective of what it is that these young, the environments that they're growing up in. And even though you're providing nice things for them or even nice activities you're still neglecting the core of who they are. You cannot be whole as a human being without having your mental health and mental well-being looked into. And so for me, it was like, let's start a conversation and we're not going to pretend to be therapists, but, but what we're going to do is approach it from a peer-to-peer type of situation because it's like, this is what we went through and growing up in the environments, two separate environments coming together, you know, me discovering I had a sister eight in the 18th year of my life and then seeing how she grew up and, and knowing what her, the impact that our missing dad had on her life, but it was different for her because he was trying to be in your life. And, you know, what his neglect and uh, total disregard for my humanity did for me, when we started to talk about that, we didn't want to talk about it as if we were victims. We wanted to talk about it from an empowered sense of mental look well-being. Our, look, at our, look, look at who we are. Look at what we decided to become, not because we just were persevering and gutting it out, we actually addressed the things that were going on inside of us. And when we would get together, you know, throughout the years after we met, it would be to, you know, to discuss, you know, our emotions, our feelings, and then our progression. So we kind of helped each other get better as we were walking through this journey. But that's kind of what started the podcast. And we just been running with it ever since then. That's awesome. That's great. So where you kick in, (laughs) where you fit in is, um, we wanted to also address the stigma of mental health in the community because mm-hmm. I think so many times when you say therapy in a black community, it's <laughs> like you should have just cursed at someone's mom. You know, you've blasphemy. You know, you've gone against the church, and it's not yeah. even that. It's well, just you don't want people to think something is, that, or people just think that something's wrong with you, and yet that's the label that you yeah. receive for the rest right. of the time you're. You know, you're there. But (laughs) like I said to you, therapy saved me Mm -hmm. because I needed that. I needed permission to be angry. I had questions about how to react to certain events in my life. And I think that when you have a good sounding board, somebody that you trust, it really does help out. And what we found through the different um, conversations we've had with people is that they want to see people that look like them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, they would feel comfortable sitting down and talking to you because they don't feel like you would be judging them from an outsider's point of view. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yes. So with that, we want to again welcome you to the podcast and just ask you about your background and what made you decide to become a therapist. Yes. How about that? Talk about your journey. Yes. So, um, yeah, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, which um, kind of puts me in line with clinical social workers and licensed professional counselors. We all kind of do the, the same things. So we're master's levels clinicians, mm-hmm. as opposed to a psychologist who may have gone for a PhD. 
mm-hmm. um, or a psychiatrist who has a um, who is able to prescribe medication. That's just something that I like to uh, point out because I yeah. think sometimes there's confusion around those mm-hmm. different roles. Um, say that. Say and, that once again, because that's a good point to make. Because I think there is confusion around what the the difference between what you do, the psychologist, and the psychiatrist. Right. So technically, all of those professions can provide therapy, mm-hmm. but a psychiatrist is, um, can prescribe medication, where a psychologist, uh, American family therapist, uh, licensed clinical social worker, professional counselor do not prescribe medication. Okay. Um, so, for instance, when I work with clients who do need or want medication, I try to help them find a psychiatrist um, or an APRN who can prescribe the medication to them. So they'll see me for the therapy, see the psychiatrist for the prescription for the medication. And oftentimes it looks like, it depends on your needs, but it mm-hmm. oftentimes can look like them checking in with their psychiatrist monthly, and they would come see me weekly or so. Okay. And so, so like the idea of doctor, doctor would be used with like a psychologist or a psychiatrist, whereas um, master's level clinicians, so people who've gone as far as getting their master's degree mm-hmm. in therapy would, um, you know, I'm, I'm Tracy, like I tell you all, I'm Tracy, um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm a licensed American family therapist. Um, and so, yeah, I practice, I have a private practice in Norwalk, Connecticut, which is um, Fairfield County, Connecticut, more of the southern part of Connecticut, not too far from New York. Um, and I work with uh, women and couples. I also work with teenage girls as well, um, but I'm really working on narrowing my focus more and more so that I can really devote my time and energy <clears throat> to clients who I feel I work the best with. Um my background, though, is in working with all ages. There was a point where I was doing play therapy with very young children under the age of six years old, in home therapy, all of these things, which I love, and I think play therapy is amazing. But I also have a four-year-old and now a three-and-a-half-month-old. Congratulations. Um, so, <laughs> thank you. Um, I was noticing that in doing a lot of play uh, during the day for therapy, I was just completely, like, burnt out with the play when I got home to, you know, to my own son. And I was just like, okay, I have to find it. I have to narrow this down a bit. So I really love working with women and couples. Um, I love working with, um, like I work with a number of different, you know, ethnicities and races in my practice, but I really am passionate about destigmatizing mental health in the black community. So working with, you know, black women and black couples is really important to me because of exactly some of the things you guys said, there's this, uh, this idea of like, you know, I've had people come in and sit down and say, well, you know, I didn't want to come here because this is for crazy people. Yes. And, um, you know, there's also, you know, the whole strong black woman, you know, um, idea as well. So you're strong. You don't need that. There's the idea of we don't tell our problems and our issues to other people. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, all of these different, these different stigmas. And, the sad part about it is it keeps us from getting the help that we need and the help that we deserve. So then we end up getting pushed to the outskirts in terms of getting access to, you know, emotional healing and, you know, mm-hmm. mental healing. And it's just not fair to us. Um, so I'm big on helping people realize that therapy is for any and everyone. And though it oftentimes is something that's looked to during times of crisis, it doesn't have to be just when someone is in crisis like it can be a preventative and proactive thing Mm -hmm. and just as a society overall that's something that we're needing to get better at is being preventative about our mental health i always say you go to the doctors for physicals to be on top of things and if you break your leg nobody's telling you to put a band-aid on it and just chill out (laughs) go to the doctor like who does that Right. So it's like, no, really mental and emotional health is the same idea. If you let emotional wounds fester, it's like letting a physical wound fester that gets infected and doesn't heal properly. And so I just think it's so important that we all realize and understand this. Awesome. So I got to dive in. Go. Because I have to ask. Um, One, excellent. I agree. I would use a dentist instead of a doctor because our, 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 the way we care for our teeth, um, right. when we when we neglect it and we only do you know a part of what we need to do uh, over the, over many years, the decay will build up and then you don't realize just the impact that will actually have on your overall physical being 
if you yeah, don't even so take yeah. care of your teeth. So uh, that that whole process, I would say, mental health. Uh, that definitely that that I I like that analogy of, of comparing those two. Now you said something that I would like to. The, the question I would ask is, what am I? I'm doing trying now? to lean you into the camera. I'm oh sorry. yeah, I do lean. I'm sorry. I do lean. I'm sorry. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Okay. Deuces, right? <laughs> you good? You good? All right. Anywho, I'm sorry. I I I do this. I I do this lean thing. So if if I if I veer out, if you see him fall off the chair, you know what happened. He just <laughs> leaned right off the picture. Anywho. You said you like working with uh, women and couples. So, of course, being a black male, I want to ask you, when you're dealing with, uh, because I, I, feel, I still feel like there's a, a struggle, especially for black men, because the stigma is really, really strong because of all of the different dynamics that you face as a black man in a society. And I don't feel like, even though I know there are disadvantages that exist, there are things that you face where looking to just say, hey, I want you to listen to me, to, for me to be vulnerable and open up to you is a challenge for men. In your, in, your, in your practice, when you're dealing with couples, what is your experience or what are you, what are you experiencing? Without, you know, I know you're not talking in detail, but what are some of the common experiences you have when it comes to men and being able to open up and feel secure enough to be vulnerable? and discussing what's happening inside of them. Um, yeah, so I will say that, and this definitely depends on the person, I, I have had the whole range where the man in the couple comes in, he's more talkative than the woman, and he's just sharing, sharing, because he has stuff to get off of his chest. Mm -hmm. But definitely on average, I would say yes. When a couple comes in, there's probably more um, of an immediate uh, sense of, I would say, safety from the woman because I'm a black woman sitting in front of her. Mm -hmm. But what happens is I definitely put a lot of uh, effort and consideration into making sure I let the couple see that I'm, you know, neutral. And, and one of the things that's important to me that I always start my couples off with is I explain to them, if either of you end up being interested in your own individual therapy, ideally, I would like to refer you out for that individual therapy so that I can remain neutral to the couple. But here's the thing. Again, where I'm at in Connecticut, there are very few black therapists. Mm. So what happens is mm. my couples sit there looking at me and they're like, okay, yeah, one or both of us would like individual therapy, but we really want a black therapist. Do you know of any? And I have to literally say, uh, I know one, maybe two. And then it's about who takes his insurance and it's about where exactly, like what town they're located in, is it convenient? So there is a real issue around access for wow. us. So what I do find myself doing is still seeing that them for individual therapy, but I make this understanding that if I'm going to see one person for individual, I have to see the other person. Because what I don't want is for the couple's therapy to end up being or seeming an imbalance for any reason because... I'm seeing the couple, but I'm, you know, I'm his or hers therapist. Mm -hmm. So the other person feels like, oh my gosh, you're more aligned with them. And that's a real concern in couples therapy. I am a, like I always say, my client is the relationship. When I'm doing couples therapy, it's not you or you. It's your relationship. You guys that. are coming to me because you want to um, make improvements in your relationship. So that is something that I find myself having to do is people are needing access to their own individual therapy. But it's really hard for them to find therapists who they're comfortable with. And so I will, you know, say I will see both of you. If it's just one or the other, we're going to have to work to find, you know, someone else you can go to so that we don't imbalance the couple's therapy. So that's something that I find myself having to do. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the lack of access to mental health that we have, you know, in the black community where I'm at in terms of people feeling comfortable with their therapists. Okay. And also, so a question. At what stage do you recommend a person or people to come to you knowing, I know that you um, were trying to focus on um, relationship healing. So say for instance, you know, you have, and I believe when we spoke before, it wasn't just couples. It was any kind of relationship breakdown, um, you know, either through a death or uh mother daughter father son different things that you were you you're trying to turn your practice and focus on 
um, towards the healing part. At what point do you recommend someone coming in during the you know when the breakdown is happening? I always say as soon as possible. It's like having a, a weird cough again, going back to the whole doctor thing, and and getting in sooner to to really be on top of things. Um, so in terms of what you're saying, what uh, one of the things that I focus on is is um, healing from heartbreak or breakup recovery, which oftentimes, again, with my focus being on women and uh, being on women and couples, often looks like women coming in who have gone through a breakup or going through a divorce or something like that, and helping them heal from that heartbreak. But with that, a breakup is ultimately a loss. And what we do with losses is <clears throat> we experience grief. So we mourn them. So someone dying is a loss. Losing a job is a loss. Losing a house. Any, any major thing being taken you know, from you or losing it is, is something that we grieve. So what I try to explain is that relationship breakups fall into a category of being something that we need to grieve, that we experience grief over, and so that's need to mourn. The difference being that grief is a feeling that we have, mourning is the practice or the action that we do. So when somebody dies, we experience grief, we mourn them by having a funeral. So that's just kind of some clarification around that. But but um, in terms of, so for a couple, when they're having issues or maybe you know one person is feeling like there's an issue or concern, the best time for them to come in is as soon as possible because you can help, you can start to work on those issues before, again, they fester and grow and become more entrenched and before resentment starts to build up between people. But the reality is, is that couples often come, I, there's a statistic, don't really quote me on this, but I think maybe around like seven years in, they come in very late into the process of being unhappy. Mm-hmm which makes it a more challenging, um, it makes the issues more, more harder to resolve because there's, there's been so many years or so much time mm-hmm. of those feelings being there. And then there's also the practical aspects. There might be kids involved. Now, you know, finances are intertwined, you know, all sorts of things like that. So earlier is better. So question. So I, I know you mentioned when we were talking about the situation involving, um, like just comparing it to preventative, uh, measures when it comes to going to see your doctor uh, do you encourage or would you instruct couples to kind of come to see you prior to even if there are no issues but they just want to do preventative therapy by coming to see you just even in the beginning say say you're just a newlywed couple and would you encourage that couple to come see you and on a on a certain you know on a regular basis just so they just because they want to do their regular checkups to make sure they're you know tracking the right way um, absolutely. So that's one of the reasons why premarital counseling is such a great thing. But yes, regardless of whether you're planning to be married or not, I see it as um, couples checking in with one another around each individual's needs, desires, and expectations. So what I mean is I talk with couples all the time about how there are so many things in a relationship in which it's not necessarily about one person being right or wrong. Mm-hmm. It's about us each having our own individual preferences and expectations and how those align or don't align with the other person. To so a very basic example, it's like if I happen to be somebody who is, a, you know, I don't know, a little disheveled and disorganized and I'm single in my own space, it just is what it is. That's not, you know, right or wrong in mm-hmm. and of itself that I like to keep things here and this here and that there. It might become an issue when I'm now living with somebody and forming a life with them and they have a certain way of organization and cleanliness and the mind is different and now we're butting heads. And so many uh, couples issues are oftentimes around this idea of like, mm-hmm. once we break it down, I'm helping people understand that. Of course you feel like you're right because that's your way and that's what you, how you want to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this other person is not just wrong in and of themselves it's wrong or an issue because you two are now trying to come together and make this a cohesive thing and so i think that when couples come in before their issues like let's just take an example of like premarital counseling i like to just go through a bunch of um important life categories to have them answer for themselves into one another what are their expectations things that People often don't talk about until the issue comes up. So 
kids. How many kids do we want to have? Do you even want to have children? Where might we want to live? Do you think we'll stay in the same state forever? Would you ever want to move out of the country? How are we going to raise our kids? Discipline, religion, like anything you can think of um, are things that ideally you try to discuss before you make a committed, you know, especially committed legal, you know, contract with somebody, but even before that. Because if you can work those things out earlier, it's going to be a smoother ride down the road. Because a lot of things that couples end up coming to therapy for, once you boil it down, it's about he thought it was this way, she thought it was this way, and now we're butting heads because we realize we have different expectations of one another, of what we can give and what we want to receive. And so a lot of it is really Mm -hmm. around clarifying those expectations. She gave me so much stuff, and no. I don't have my pen to write stuff um, down. I, okay. I did not bring my pen. So, <laughs> what is a typical session like for a person who's just, you know, who they're they're coming out of the woodwork, they're coming out the closet, they've just decided I'm going because it sounds crazy, but you know, I'm going to go to therapy. You know, they've decided they finally fought the stigma. They're looking for a therapist. You know, and they're trying to figure out what is it going to look like. You know, I think so many times people get stuck on this whole what things look like on television. You know, where you're laying on the couch and your hands over your head. And the therapist is just sitting there with the pad and they're never looking at you. They're never talking to you. You know, and they're like, I don't want that. Right. And so you just named a whole bunch of things that I don't do. Um, (laughs) Some of them I do. I do write things down because personally I like to give myself notes to remind myself the next session of where I want to pick up. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I definitely look at people and I definitely talk to them. Okay. <laughs> but actually I don't have, I don't have a couch in my office. I have uh, comfy chairs that people sit in. So they're not laying down on the, on the sofa. Um, but let me say this, you know, everyone runs their practice differently. So I'm not speaking for all therapists, mm-hmm. but um, I would say, you know, typically what you should expect in the first session or two um the way I work is I, so now um, I've actually like moved things to an electronic system, which is the way things are going nowadays. So my clients, they have an initial phone call with me where I take basic information, address, email address, phone number, stuff like that, so that I can email them my intake documents beforehand. Okay. So before the session, they're able to read through and sign what they need to sign. So that once they come into the session, we have that part out of the way. Which is great. Right into the the therapy. And it hasn't always been like that. You know, that's been, you know, the past uh, less than a year or so where I've been able to have it done like that. Okay. And so, but that's great. We can get kind of get right to it. So then um, I always ask them if they have any initial questions of me, just like right off the top. Um, You know, they might have questions of what the process is going to look like. But generally speaking, I... I um, spell a lot of that out in my intake uh, documents, my informed consent form that they sign. So I explain to them that in the first session or two, I do, um, I have this kind of packet, uh, which is an assessment. And ultimately what it does is help me collect information about their current and past experiences all the way back to childhood so that I can become informed. I'm just meeting them for the first time. (laughs) I don't know what's going on in their lives, right? So I'm trying to do a crash course on their life in a sense. So that I can start, you know, forming some ideas and thoughts about what might be going on and how I can be helpful to them. So I ask questions around, you know, experience, you know, have there been any, um, you know, negative experiences that they've had, you know, deaths, uh, accidents, you name it. The whole checklist of things that I ask them mm-hmm. um, so I can get a, a read of like trauma that they may have experienced and things like that. I, of course, ask them about what their current concerns are, what's bringing them into therapy. Um, and so that's what they can expect in the first couple of sessions. I explained to them that it is a lot of me just asking you a bunch of questions initially. Of course, we're talking and, and it's, you, you know, it's interesting because everyone's intake session can look different because there are people who are very talkative and there are people who are not talkative at all. So there are people who I ask a question, they give me a quick, immediate answer, and we move on. There are other people who expand to a whole big story. And I always tell people, you know, the more information you give me, the better, the more I have to work with. But, you know, I'm going to I'm going to ask you questions. So if you don't, if you're not uh, initially comfortable with immediately opening up, that's fine. I'll ask more questions to get that information. And I'm asking always for my understanding because that's how I'm going to be best able to help you. It's 
knowing as much as possible about what you've experienced. Um, but in terms of what it actually, I guess, walking through beginning to end, a person usually finds me online or through their insurance carrier. Um, I'm on a directory called Therapy for Black Girls, which I think is an awesome directory to find um, black mental health professionals. So Instagram as well. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Um, I'm also on psychologytoday.com. That's how a lot of people find me. So then I'll call me up, say I'm interested in therapy. I, I ask a few uh, basic questions to make sure we're a good fit. Um, like I said, I've, I've been really focusing on now, you know, women and couples. So I like to, you know, find out, you know, um, you know, what are the, the issues that they're looking to address. Then um, we, I, I send them the paperwork through email. They fill that out. We schedule our appointment. They come, they show up. They, I always tell people, just wait in the waiting area and I'll come out and get you just in case I'm running over from a previous session. Come out and get them, bring them in, ask them to take a seat, offer them candy and coffee and tea. And, <laughs> you know, we just, you know, get started and we start, you know, we start talking um, about what it is they need to talk about. What are they here for? Okay. Cool. Yes. Yep, I do have a question. I know. Go, go. He's the question guy. I like to write my questions, so I'm not being rude while you're talking. Uh, mm-hmm. When I, I listen, I I pin my questions real quick, and then so because I, I don't want to lose a thought, even though I may miss a thought while I'm writing while you're speaking. So <laughs> my apologies there. Uh, you talked about premarital uh, uh, counseling uh, entering into a marriage. So when it uh, this the quote, my question is is when it comes to marriages, would you say that looking for or allowing love to be the sole reason for entering into a marriage can lead to concerns later if you don't consider consider many of the premarital questions that you ask yes. in that counseling? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think we all love the idea of love conquering <laughs> all and being enough. But I do often have conversations with people of when it really gets down to it, is love alone enough? You can love someone and not be meeting their needs and them not meeting your needs outside of that. Because there are a lot of other practical aspects to life. Mm-hmm. You can love someone but also need you know, to be raising children with them and you want to be raising healthy, happy kids, right? And you can notice that there are behaviors or habits of this person that are not conducive to helping you raise children in the ways that you think they should be raised. And you can love them regardless. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're you know ideal partner for X, Y, and Z. So it's this idea that we, you know, I always talk about how the head and the heart don't always work in unison. So you can logically list reasons why someone maybe is not the ideal partner for you, but still emotionally be attached and connected to them, which is why (laughs) so many of us stay in relationships longer than we should. That's just being human. It's the emotional connection to somebody who you can logically acknowledge isn't the, you know, the best partner. That emotional connection is oftentimes what keeps us. There are also practical reasons, money, again, children, all sorts of things that feed into it, which just make it that much more complicated. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, yeah, going into a relationship purely based on loving someone and not looking at the practical ways in which you fit into one, of, one another's lives is kind of ripe for problems. Mm-hmm. So this is yeah. a uh, so this is a light opinion, and I'd like to hear <laughs> your view on it. So this is so I was sitting with a client of mine. I work in security industry. So we was we went from talking about security transition into talking about relationships. So okay. as I'm sitting with this client, strong black female, and it was it was myself and a partner of mine, and there was two females, and they just wanted to ask this question. They asked us, "Were we married?" We said yes, and then they said, "Well, why is it with guys? You know, guys seem to not like or strong women or something like that." Which I could have considered. Uh, like I guess an insult because they didn't know either one of our wives, like did not know how strong they were. But needless to say, when they were talking, they they kind of asked this question based upon, you know, she they named all of their strengths and talked about their difficulty finding, you know, someone to 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 partner with or be in a relationship with or a long-term successful relationship with. 
And so it led to this very long conversation. But the question I asked them, and I, I'll ask you this, the question I asked them was, I said, when it comes to dating and, you know, the, the question of love not being enough, I said, when it comes to this playlist or the list that many people have, I said, do we sometimes make a list or do, do, do black females make a list that sometimes eliminates good quality candidates because from a, and I'm not going to say from a financial standpoint, but be, because they don't check off every box on that list, it kind right. of hinders them from going into a constructive relationship. And I'll say this and then I'll want to hear your response. My oldest daughter, she, her, her husband uh, is a truck driver. Now her profession, she's, she went to medical school. She's now in her residency doing, you know, for plastic surgery. So she is a doctor. Now her husband, who she, she, who she loves, but he's building his career and he's building something in the trucking industry. A lot of people will look at that as like, you do that, the two careers don't match, but she has, but it was love that they've grown into, but he's still someone who's one. I love him and love what he brings to my daughter's life. And but I, and I asked him, I said, so if you saw that, would you eliminate him just because that's where he was in love? So say you're in your career now, if you met him, would you eliminate that that person because he didn't check off the he's not in my profession field? So I, I give you that just as, you know, something I talked to them about. Do, do, do we sometimes put ourselves in a position where no love is not enough, but we create a list to eliminate, to me, quality individuals who could actually add to your life? So... Does that happen? Sure, yes. But I think the key is the is knowing is everyone having to come to their own individual understandings of what they want and what they need. Okay. So one of the one of the, the tasks or exercises that I do with people is what I call the ideals list, and you can really make this list for any part of your life. So it could be career, it could be finances. And I do it a lot when it comes to your ideal romantic partner, your ideal, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, whoever. It's really simple in terms of I literally say, say you woke up tomorrow and could wave a magic wand and create the perfect person for you. What would be their physical attributes, their personality attributes, their life circumstances? Just list them, like, you know, I don't know, brown hair, uh, doesn't smoke, has, you know, two kids, or just list, list everything, right? She almost got you, sis. I thought she was coming for you. <laughs> she said, brown hair, doesn't smoke. She said, two kids, not three. So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, so, I'm sorry. We can't go and laugh sometimes. <laughs> oh, man. So then you're just listing all of these qualities and these attributes. And then I said, go down that list and check or put a star or whatever to all of the things that are a deal breaker for you. And what I'm, what I'm defining as a deal breaker in this case is if this person, let's say, I don't know, you have 50 things on this list. If this person's checking off like 40 of them, but this thing is, isn't checked off and you say, Oh no, then I can't be with them. Then that's considered a deal breaker. It's important to, first of all, know what we want. But it's also very important to know what we need. So I'll just use a random example. Say it's very important to you that they're a non-smoker. Like that's something mm-hmm. that you can't do. So they might have, I don't know, the educational background that you want. They might, you know, have, you know, the physical attributes you want, but they smoke a lot. You might say, even though all these other things are there, that's great, but I just won't be able to deal with yeah. that. That is like a it. deal breaker for you, like right? Mm-hmm. So first I want... I want people to list their their wants and needs, their general sense of uh, attributes they want, then go over that list again and star the deal breakers. Then I have people ask themselves, um, so actually I do this, I can do this with people who are single, who, again, aren't in a relationship, and you can do this with people who are in a relationship. If I'm doing it with somebody who's single, I say to them, ask yourself, do you think that the person that you have listed on this list, do you think that in the, what, almost 7 billion people in this world, that this type of human exists, right? <laughs> this is a nice check-in on where are my expectations, that sort of thing, right? So say they say yes, and all of a sudden billion people are, I'm, I'm sure that somebody like this is, exists. Then I ask, do you think that you are capable of meeting a person like this? Mm. Because if your answer is yes, then good. You're like, okay, it's reasonable. If your answer is no, this might be bringing up things around 
the circles you run in, what who you're exposing mm. yourself to, like because if you're saying that in the world this person does exist, but I'm not probably I'm probably not going to meet them, then that's now looking at a question of of more of you as an individual and lifestyle and things like that, and not in any judgmental way, but just in like if this is the type of person I want to meet, where am I? What am I doing? Yeah. Then <clears throat> to kind of get more to your question of like, okay, will we eliminate people who could be a good match? It's really about realizing that relationship issues, it's not one size fits all. I think a lot of people come into therapy and sit in front of me and they ask questions that they want me to answer. And it's like, isn't this right? Doesn't this make sense? And I know that it is not the answer that people want, but I explain to them, that's not the, it doesn't matter. It mm. does not matter if I think that is right. It matters of, does that work for you? A, a prime example, of a, a big question. Either people ask it or they want to ask it, but they don't. They're like, oh, they feel like they shouldn't. You can ask. But should I break up with him or her? I'm like, okay, on paper, everything you listed to me, maybe sounds like they're not a particularly nice person. They don't really treat you very nicely. They're not, you know, really cool. But if I told you today, yes, you should break up with them. When you leave this office, I'm not the person who has to get home to your house and tell them to leave. I'm not the person who has to sleep in the bed without them. I'm not the person who has to experience the loneliness that you may experience in telling them to go, even though you logically know they aren't great for you. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, excellent. Regardless of whether on paper, I'm like, oh, yeah, ew, it sounds like they're already cheap. <laughs> I am not going to have to actually be the one to go through the emotional and logistical process of what it means to split from that person. And again, this is not just regarding breakups. This could be leaving a job. This could be any decision that people oftentimes come to therapy wanting to make or figure out. What I say is I'm here to help guide you in thinking about what is right for you. Because I will not walk in your shoes and I will not live your experience through whatever decision you happen to make here. So going back to that that question of like, what is about is you, this is why I say this ideal list can be used for any part of your life, mm-hmm. career. Should I leave this job? Should I look for a new job? You need to list what are the things that I need and want in my life around this particular topic. And then that can help you start to make a determination of, yeah, so say you're in a relationship with somebody who can make the same list and say, this is what would be ideal to me if I could, again, create this ideal person for myself. Is the person I'm with matching up on the key important qualities that maybe I listed as my deal breakers and stuff like that? This is not about somebody checking off all 100 attributes <laughs> and saying that, you know, someone has to be a perfect, you know, mm-hmm. person. But this is about if, yeah, 10 of these attributes are things that I cannot deal with or I have to have, is that person checking off those things? And if they don't check off those things, to your point, does it mean that they're not a quality person? Not necessarily. But does it mean that they're ideal for me and what I need and what I can offer them if they did a list regarding me? And the answer there may be no, they're not. So if a deal breaker for you is that the person has a certain type of career, regardless of how somebody else may feel about that or may judge that, you still are the person who has to live with that person and build a life with them. So if that is a very important thing to you, then it just is. And could it be acknowledging that that is a really quality, decent, cool person? They absolutely could be. But maybe then they're a great person for someone else. Mm. And let them be that great person for someone else. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Like, yes. It is very unique to, or should be very unique to the individual. I think sometimes we fall into a trap of feeling like there are certain ideals and standards we need to meet. And this goes with this and that goes with that. And so we will put ourselves in those situations. But if we really sit and reflect on what I want and need as an individual, it may not actually line up. And that is a fast track to, to being, dis, you know, to discontent and being unhappy in a relationship because you're not really addressing your needs, wants, and desires. So. Okay. And I Good think stuff. I wanted to, I have so many questions, but I, <laughs> but I don't want to take up all of your night because you have babies to go home to. <laughs> when we spoke previously, um, we had a conversation about therapy and the black community and church. And you had some ideas or 
I guess I had questions because my thing was I wanted to make sure that we touched on that subject, that you can see a therapist, you can see a counselor, you can also pray. You know, it's not that they're exclusive, you know, exclusive to each other. It can be a blend of. So I just wanted to kind of get your ideas on that. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I agree that if you follow a certain religion or you're spiritual or you have certain practices, I think that that's a wonderful thing because it can be a coping tool in the process of, of healing. So I do think that sometimes people can fall into a trap of leaning only on religion to help resolve things that also can be helped with therapy and, you know, and other things. I think it just comes down to, again, you as a person and an individual and what helps you. So there are plenty of people who aren't needing to go to therapy. They don't end up going to therapy. They're able to seek their religious guidance and, and feel like they're coping. And so if that's what's happening, fine. There's not, there's not a problem. What it is, is this idea of like when we are trying to use certain coping tools in our lives and we realize they're not handling the issue completely, then you might look to, okay, maybe I need to supplement this with therapy. Again, to keep using the medical reference, <laughs> I have a cough and I'm at home and I buy some cough medicine and, you know, I try to handle it that way or I take some Tylenol or whatever, right, before I go to the doctor, you know, maybe, maybe it clears up on its own. My headache goes away if I take some Tylenol. But I am taking Tylenol and I keep taking Tylenol and this headache's just not going away. Maybe I should start getting a bit concerned and decide that I need to supplement this with something else. Now I'm going to go into the doctor and say, doctor, I've been trying the things that I know that help a headache. I've been making sure I drink water so I'm not dehydrated. I've been taking my Tylenol. I've been getting enough sleep. And if, you know what I mean? My headache's still here. Mm -hmm. Do you have some other thoughts? That's how I see the idea of religion and therapy being able to work hand in hand. Now what... Now that's like I say, you have so man, this is a conversation that go on forever. What about those individuals? Because there are certain individuals who challenge that way of thinking with your faith should be enough and your faith may be an issue and not getting into the religious I'm not trying to get into a particular denominational or religious viewpoint, but when if if someone is battling within themselves, not talking to the religious leader, but someone's battling within themselves and they feel as if, you know, my faith is in question if I doubt my pastor who's telling me, uh, you know, using that analogy, yes, I'm coughing, I'm still coughing, but I'm coughing and, and it must be something wrong with me because my faith is not strong enough mm -hmm. to take the cough away. And the guilt that is attached yeah, to yeah, that. Because, because that's been... That's been that's something that's often said. Like, if you need anything outside of God, then you know that's that's a sign of your your your, 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 your weak the, the lack of faith right. that one person may have. So, how would you how would you help that individual to for them to understand that it's not a betrayal of your faith to sit and to have these conversations? Right. Um, so at this point, I, I, I maybe this I, if the person's already in my office, which means they decided, okay, I'm yeah. just going to try this therapy. Thing, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. I start talking about it from a, a very um, practical standpoint because to be honest I don't consider myself qualified to speak on it from a religious standpoint mm -hmm. in terms of being a religious leader or anything right I can talk about it from a therapeutic standpoint so exactly. what I would be bringing up is this is about your mental and emotional well-being and so what you would need to what you may want to ask yourself or what no, no what you do want to ask yourself is if I have been using, you know, leaning on my faith to help get through whatever this is or to heal or recover from whatever that is going on for me, and I have not gotten relief or enough relief to feel okay, do I not owe it to myself to seek out other mm -hmm. options? And, you know, in a sense, what do I have to lose? And what one might say is what I have to lose, like you said, is, is the sense of guilt because my faith isn't enough. I, from a mental health standpoint, I just, it's, I find it, you know, unfortunate that people end up in this guilt, this bind of guilt mm -hmm. and shame or embarrassment. Mm -hmm. Because, again, kind of going a bit with, like, the stigma of mental health in the black community, it, it keeps them from 
healing. It keeps mm-hmm. them from, from help, you know? Mm-hmm. And so my, my conversation with them at the, when they're at the point of being in my office for like a first session is around, let's talk about the things that are concerning you in your life right now. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about things that might be helpful in addressing them. And you can be able to think on, think on it for yourself of whether it might be worth, you know, coming to the next session, seeing how that goes, going to like, it might have to be in steps and stages. We might have to go slowly. But my hope is that they would see enough relief in that process to realize and accept that they can have both their faith and therapy as an intervention to help with the healing process. Awesome. This is this has been so good. We, A, appreciate all of your time. B, Absolutely. we'll be, you know, reaching out to you in the future because we feel like there's such a need to hear us talk about the issues within our community um, that affect our mental health. And so many people assume that you have to be going crazy in order to talk about mental health. And they don't understand that you have mental wholeness, mental well-being that is attached to this because it's not like you became a therapist so that you can listen to problems all the time. You're trying to solve these things you know, throughout your sessions. And um, we want to help people, we want to soften the conversation. And that's where we are. So if anyone wants to reach out to you, what are your handles on social media, your website, different things like that? Um, Yeah, so the best way um, to kind of keep up with what's going on with me, I definitely have some things that I'm trying to do within the next year. Um, One of them is uh, to put out out an online course around healing from heartache. So you can find me on Instagram at therapist.tracy. So that's the word therapist.tracie. And so if you follow me there, then you'll be able to have access to anything that's going on with me because I'll always post. I'm putting together an email list um, in which I will have people sign up to get some, um, you know, freebies in terms of different tips around self-care, healing, things like that. So again, if you follow me there, you'll get access to all of that as I um, as I release it and as I post about it. Awesome! Thank you so much for talking mm-hmm. to us. We will reach out to you soon. Thank you. Thank I you. Appreciate Thank it. you. <laughs> have a good night. You too. Good night. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to All Up In Your Business podcast with Light and Lovely. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out on Instagram at All Up In Your Business podcast. That's A-L-L-U-P-N-U-R-B-I-Z-N-E-S-S podcast or personally at Light in your biz, L-I-T-E dot N-U-R-B-I-Z or at Lovely Brown, L-O-V-E-L-I-B-R-O-W-N or on Facebook, just search for All Up In Your Business. Please leave us a review on the podcast you're listening to. We appreciate your support. Peace.